Logo Geeks, it's Ian Paget here. I'm back with another podcast that's created to help you make a living designing logos. On this week's show, I'm going to be joined by Kaz Cosimano, where we'll discuss how he got into design, starting his own agency, mental health, and more. But before we get into that, I want to thank the sponsor of this week's episode, The Perfect Match a game where designers submit mood boards created using Adobe Stock Assets. And if your mood board design is chosen, you will be featured on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show with other talented designers, art directors, and creatives where the winner goes home with $1,000. It's totally free to participate in the perfect match and by simply submitting an entry, Adobe will give you a gift your time. This month they're encouraging people from Europe to take part including the UK, Denmark, Ireland, Finland, Norway and the Netherlands. So if you're from that part of the world make sure to take part. To learn more and to enter visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash logo geek. So on this week's show, I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Kaz Kazamano, who's a really talented designer that I met through the Logo Geek community a few years back. He started out working for agencies, but now runs his own design studio from home where he focuses on logo and brand identity design. Over the years since first meeting Kaz, I've had some really great design-related conversations with him, and I've always appreciated his uh, honesty and general attitude towards working as a designer, um, as well as the sheer quality of his work. His work's absolutely incredible. And because of that, I wanted to get him on the show so that you can all get to know him too. We go into quite a lot of topics in this interview from how he first got attracted to logo design, how he managed to get his first design job, struggles he's faced with mental health and how he's working on uh, solutions, how he went about starting his own design studio, how he works with design agencies as a way to get a steady stream of work. And we also discuss his podcast, See Through Design. So let's dive into this. Here is the interview with Kaz Cosimano. So if you listen to any of the podcasts that I've released recently, something that I've started doing is uh, slightly change the format of the show so that it's focused on helping people to make a living designing logos. And Kaz, we've been friends for a while. You're at a point where you are uh, working for yourself and you are designing logos fairly consistently. You know, I, I see you doing them a lot. So I want to go into your story. I want to go into your background and hopefully people in the audience can learn from you. So I think what we should do is rewind, you know, go back back in time a little bit. Can you talk through like how you originally became a graphic designer? So how you first yeah, started absolutely. out? Yeah. So I think for me, when I was, well, I guess from a real young age, you know, I, I was sort of um, always quite creative doodling as a child. And I was kind of in an environment where my dad's good friend at the time was a designer and it was the old school style of designing with kind of Pantone markers, um, you know, mechanical pencils. I kind of remember it all quite vividly, really, um, going into his room, if you like, and seeing all these art materials. And um, I remember certain things that he was doing were so intricate, the illustrative stuff, you know, even then, you know, thinking about maybe logos that this guy was doing, um, they were quite illustrative, like, old school style logos that had an, an elegance about them that, you know, maybe <laughs> don't conform to certain logo rules now, but, you know, looking at them as a piece of design, I was just so inspired. And I'm talking about, you know, really quite young 
eight or nine maybe. So I was always into that and always felt that this guy was super cool. You know, he was designing stuff. He was drawing stuff. He was bringing things to life on the page. And um, I remember being at school and really gearing everything to that direction. So I, I even think from the age of probably around 13, I knew what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to be a graphic designer. Um, and uh, I did DNT, you know, design and technology lessons. And, you know, it would be like, do you want to do the woodwork? Would you want to do the design? And I would do the design. And I remember projects in there where there was things like designing your mo mobile phones, for example. We had a project where we had to design a mobile phone. And I would be sort of like sketching really roughly in the book and um, almost sketching in the way that I do now on a page where it's just like really quick scamps, uh, logo idea or, uh, you know, the time, you know, in this particular project, you know, sketching mobile phone designs. And uh, I, I really enjoyed that kind of process. And I found so much beauty in the sketches. Those were my favorite pages in the project. And I remember, you know, kind of like looking at that book and thinking, I'm really proud of these sketches. They, <laughs> they mean something to me. They're, you know, jaggedy lines, about 20 lines to draw one line of the phone. You know, it was very rough and ready. And um, yeah, I, I kind of just geared everything that way. Um, I came, from, I come from a background of uh, a family of hairdressers. And uh, I always think my dad wasn't too keen if I went into hairdressing, although I did kind of like have that around me all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, very much they were similar in a sense, career wise of creation. You know, my dad was an artist with hair. So I, I kind of was always been in, in a quite a creative world. Um, so I, yeah, picked kind of art design and, um, uh, you know, music and everything that was sort of creative to lead me into this direction of doing graph design. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was very much similar. It's 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 interesting hearing your story. And I, I know we've known each other for a long time, but we haven't actually <laughs> like really gone into detail on this sure. stuff. Um and we're similar age. I love the, you know, uh, DT classes, you know, yeah. doing um drawing and sketching and making stuff. I like both of it. <laughs> like yeah. I was I was always happy doing both. And I, I think um I'd like to think that a lot of people that are graphic designers had that similar background where, you know, when they were younger, they, they enjoyed drawing, creating stuff, making things. But I, I guess the um, challenge is actually getting into that career. And I think yeah. it's good that we've gone right back to this because um, sure. uh, there might be some people listening that might be at this position right now, you know, they're yeah. very early in, in their career and like they, they need to figure out what next. So, Absolutely. So you got a passion for that and you yeah. know that you want to go into graphic design. And it's interesting that you've got your your parents kind of run their own businesses. So I can see how you've got to where you are now. So you've got that interest. Did you then go into further education to learn yeah. graphic design? So from sort of GCSE, I went um, and did a BTEC national diploma in graphic design at a college and um I obviously, you know, went through the course and I don't want to sound sort of vain or big headed, but um, I was one of, say, the, the students that was doing really well on the course. And, yeah, you and, was good. And yeah, you knew it. I was, I was good, yeah, and uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. And um, I must admit, I finished the course with a distinction and I kind of took two, there was two routes presented to me. There was, you know, going to a, another higher level of, of um, uh, education or or uh, kind of look for a junior designer job. Um, I remember my brother was at university at the time and also I'd struggle with some, some you know, anxiety disorders. And, and, and I, I often, you know, get asked the question about why I didn't go to say university and stuff. And I, and I think that, you know, university wasn't really, it's not for everyone. You know, I think you kind of get pushed down certain roads and, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, right. Um, it wasn't good for us financially as a family. I think having both of us there, it wasn't right for me because of, you know, where I was with my anxiety at the time. And, and I just wanted to learn from the people doing the job. So I decided to take a junior designer role at something like eight grand a year or at the time, um, just to get my foot in the door. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you know, what's interesting with that? I actually think that even if you did go to university, you would 
uh, in terms of that entry point, you would still have just started as a junior. So I actually Absolutely. think you did the right thing. Oh, I really, yeah. <laughs> Looking back, you know, I feel that it was the right thing because I didn't end up with any particular debt yeah. um, that I needed to be concerned about. I was fortunate enough to have and worked with some amazing designers who were actually doing it within a job. And um, and also the, the creative world in the commercial sense was a lot different to the way you know education was showing us so uh, as much as I think education shows you the ideal process like in the education world you can have certain amounts of time to do you know certain amounts of research and this and this and this but we all know that the commercial world projects vary from project to project there there's never two cookie cutter projects that are presented to you there's always caveats that you have to be mindful of like budget um who's involved there's there's all sorts of things and I learned quickly that well number one I wasn't when I left school what I thought I was the next best thing and and I did leave going into the job with thinking I was God's gifted graph design and actually was quickly put down to earth um that uh, there was still a hell of a lot that I needed to learn and I was doing you know artworking tasks and brushing up on my uh, software whilst doing the artwork and stuff, which helped me understand print a lot more stuff that I wasn't getting taught at college at the time. Um, you know, so I, I learned a lot from, yeah, from the Yeah, I think, I think people do learn a lot in that first job. I, I just wanted to quickly ask you, so hmm. you was lucky that you was able to, able to get like a junior position straight out of college yeah. doing that. Uh, was it a BTEC course you said? Yeah, BTEC, National Yeah, Department. Yeah, yeah. So... I just wanted to ask, so that, that BTEC course, how skilled was you after that? Like, was you in a position where you had like a decent portfolio and you could actually like go into a job and actually do proper work or was you, um, so when I worked mm. in my previous job, I was, I was a creative director. So I would bring in, um, you know, we would hire people. So sometimes it was senior graphic designers, but sometimes we would get interns and interns had like a bit of a scrappy portfolio. It didn't really matter what it was too much. As long as you could see some potential, you was happy to take them on, but they wasn't really quite ready yet to do proper client work. Where where was you in terms of your skill set at that point? Um, I think I was probably above the the average um portfolio at the, at the time again I don't want to sound so vain or anything but I think no, I, I basically you, you I basically, were good at what you did <laughs> yeah I just I, I wanted to you know like I like anything I think if you're gonna do something and you enjoy it you do it to the best that you can you can do it you know and I, and I always looked to try and think that next level try and level up what I was doing so yeah. with my present you know with my with my portfolio um, I had been told that it was above average and what they'd seen at, at somebody with within the same sort of point in life. Mm -hmm. And um, I also remember, you know, back then being really kind of committed to getting jobs or impressing people that I would focus on how I mounted my work. Because we're talking old school in the sense of, you know, A2 portfolios, um, walking around, you know, town centers with these massive A2 um, kind of like leatherette style portfolios. <laughs> I, I, ha I, um, I, I had an A1, one of those, and yeah. uh, I had to go on the bus and everything and it was flipping nightmare. It's, yeah, it's, and I remember <laughs> doing that, like walking into places and being quite gutsy about, hey, look, have you got any jobs? And ringing people up and saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm just finishing, but I'd love to send my portfolio. So I think these in order to get into a job, you still need to have an, an air of, um, if you don't ask, you don't know. So yeah. taking the kind of the bull by the horns and, and, you know, ringing people up or like I did sort of walking off the street and be quite ballsy in the front. Yeah. Sometimes people might go, no, or might laugh at you or whatever, but you're going to send a, a message that somebody will remember that act of mm -hmm. being spontaneous and, for me, you know, walking into a design agency, like, have you got any jobs? Here's my portfolio. 
some people might have gone, look, you're wasting our time. You know, we need to book this in, this, and the other. I would have left an impression on their memory, definitely. Yeah, I I think you make a really good point, actually, because we're both in the position now where we work for ourselves. Mm. Um, But when it comes around to actually getting that first job or getting any graphic design job, in, in fact, you can't just send one letter or apply for one job or even like a couple of jobs. You have to be fairly ruthless like I remember when I was applying for jobs I was applying for like as many as I could sometimes it was like 10 every day or whatever Absolutely. like if if you don't do that you you won't get the opportunity because the um, reality is there's a lot of people out there that are very good at what they do there's a lot of designers out there and everybody is hungry for those jobs I would go as far as saying the graphic design industry is ruthless like, yeah. it, I, I mean, everyone's friendly and kind, but when it comes around to getting work, it's like a pack of wolves. We all want it. We all want yeah. that work. <laughs> and um, yeah, when it comes around to getting jobs, the truth is a lot of the time they get hundreds, hundreds of applications and someone like us now, you know, someone that's got a few years experience, we need to go through those applications. And what you tend to find is that, you would go through the top few and it'd be like, no, you know, you can easily see the ones that just aren't right. But then you'll get to one or two that's like, perfect. You don't even look at the rest because, I mean, some people might go through all of them, but when you are in that creative director position or in that position where you're hiring the person, you just need to get the job done. You've got lots of work coming in. You don't have the time. So you skim it. You look at stuff really quickly. And uh, yeah, you know, if you get, two or three people on the top of the pile book them in for an interview they got the job and if you don't keep trying and trying and trying and trying you won't be on the top of that pile um so yeah what what you did going in you probably had way more chance than somebody that just sent in 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 a in a letter um yeah yeah, I I don't I don't think I would have liked that too much in my last place you know if someone just dropped in but um yeah, may, maybe my uh, CEO might have liked that. You know, this guy's got some balls. We're hire Absolutely. him. <laughs> and I think ruthless is the key word in your career from that point. Um, you know, it's a, it is a very dog-eat-dog world, this industry. And mm-hmm. I think being ruthless and being gutsy and um, playing the game, if you like, creates uh, a good foundation for longevity. Um, you know, I, I wrote down, you know, thinking about, mantras for the start of 2022 i I wrote down in in, in the front of my notebook take more risks Mm -hmm. and uh feel fear and do it anyway because i feel like people that take risks and are generally opening up opportunities of success and and i think ruthless risks to a degree they they're kind of relevant to your career from that point um Mm -hmm. whether you're taking a a risk from moving a job into a job that you maybe you're comfortable in a particular job but you want to progress your career but you're frightened about moving well then you would take that risk to move to see what it's like you know there's always an element of being ruthless and taking risks and uh, um yeah i think that's fundamental to well being successful to a degree yeah Um, definitely I think especially as a graphic designer, because I I don't think I've said it enough on this podcast, it's a tough industry. Mm. And if you aren't the type of person that will work your ass off, creating like the best portfolio you can, and you're not going out there, you know, knocking on all of the doors. And when I say knocking on the doors, it could be sending emails, sending letters, and and not just send, like when you send an email, I, I, I received an email the other day from someone uh, that was looking for a work experience placement. Bless, bless him. I, I, I still got back to the, the 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 guy, but it was like, dear sir or madam. Yeah. And it was obviously copy paste and sent to everybody. But you know, doing that and sending out a thousand of those isn't going to cut it. Absolutely. When when we have the internet and you can go on LinkedIn and find out who the owner of the company is or who the creative director is you can actually like find their name you can find out what they're interested in and you can actually write a really personalized letter directly to that person you can even go on their company portfolio and see what they recently worked on and make some positive notes about what they do and actually like tailor it to that person you're more likely to get 
well, you're you're significantly more likely to get the job if you write a personalized email versus sending like a dear sir or madam, <laughs> I am looking for a job. You know, it's just not going to cut the mustard. You know, you, it, when you consider that there are potentially hundreds, hundreds, yeah. if you're in London, probably thousands, like yeah. significant number of people applying for those jobs, you need to stand out. You need to look different just to, to even be considered for an interview so yeah i agree with that and it's i'm i'm glad that you brought that up and and being personable is is so important you know i'll quote my good friend alex curtis we both know people buy from people so if you're you know if you are presenting yourself presenting yourself as a person with a personal touch um having an idea and and almost challenging that idea and saying how can i make this more memorable whether you're looking for a job or just generally doing work or or even selling your own design services i think if you kind of have that in the back of your mind about people buy from people i'm a person i want to be myself i want to stand out i want to be memorable i think you apply those fundamental dare i say rules yeah. to whatever you're doing whether you're applying for a job or doing a project you're creating something that's got more chance of of being um receptive and almost engaging on a on a bit more of a human level um, yeah. and and humans are you know a big word in the mar- in the industry sorry um right now and you know human um, experiences and being human and 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 that kind of uh, stuff that's going around language wise so um yeah really uh, really good to kind of be yourself as well <laughs> yeah definitely i i do want to go into how you started your business but sure. I, I want to go into some of the stuff that you mentioned and hopefully you're okay it, to yeah. talk about this yeah absolutely. you mentioned about your problems with anxiety mm-hmm. and being you know just being anxious about those next steps sure um I've had this problem and actually the more you speak to people a lot of people do sure yeah uh when you finish school mm-hmm. so you know when you're like 16 or whatever your life up until that point has been dictated by somebody else, you know, so um, parents or, you know, guardians or whatever, they would have basically done everything for you. Um, And then school is kind of dictated to you, you know, the, the times of the day, but when you hit that point in the UK, at least, you know, 16 or 18 or whatever, everything is kind of steered for you like like your days are yeah. planned for you um but when you leave that you are kind of like um like you've got no parachutes anymore like everything uh it's it's like here's a cliff push <laughs> survive yeah. um so it is very daunting going from that very structured regime to having to go out and get a job get work you know start a life of your own it's really scary and i think a lot of people have those anxieties would you mind talking through some of the stuff that you did to maybe help with that yeah definitely well I think you know even kind of going back to my anxieties kind of going through my career like you know I I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder at a young age at six uh, seven I believe um and uh, I very much kept it a secret all the way through to (laughs) probably around the age of maybe 28 and I was always, you know, struggling with my anxiety. And I, and I think as well, you know, it was product of maybe a creative overactive imagination because generally anxiety is bringing up the worst case situations and, and dealing with sort of fear. And I think uh, as designers, we can create so much amazing stuff that we can create movies, uh, horror movies, if you like, of uh, of our life. And, and I believe that, you know, when I was um, trying to handle my anxiety, um, I, I always found that it was... Um, a bit of a secret and you know only opened up to people that were very much within my close circle of friends yeah. or close yeah. family network whereas here I am talking about it on a podcast well yeah I, I <laughs> like I actually really like to talk about this type of thing because I've had issues with that as well you know we, we've spoken about this type of thing and I, I think it's good to talk about it because people sure. think that they shouldn't and, and they, they should keep it secret and absolutely. um yeah I just think it's good to talk about some of the stuff that how you handled it like did yeah. you get therapy and so on Definitely. To, to, I, to help with that so I, I was in therapy from a young age and I was in therapy for long long chunks and periods of my life even from the age of like sort of uh, 14 to 
gosh, yeah, into my twenties and uh, late twenties. Yeah, it's good, um, good, good to get help because I think you would really struggle if you didn't have that extra absolutely. support. So you know, if there's anyone listening that is kind of facing those issues, Definitely. especially in your adolescence, you know the. Uh, you know, when you're younger, I think sure. it's good to get that support if you're able to, or, yeah. you know, or just talk to somebody. Um, um, because, you know, most therapy, to be honest, is, is talking about it. So definitely. And, and you, and you learn techniques like, you know, when you're dealing with sort of kind of, if you're thinking about CBT, um, and, um, trying to learn behaviors when you, from, from when you were younger or how you used to cope with anxiety back then. And you kind of challenging it and, and learning to tolerate uncertainty. But I think a lot of the time I was managing anxiety in, in those year, years, not in the best way, sort of seeking reassurance, always overthinking, you know, trying to think my way out of a problem, which these are all short-term fixes. They don't really um, help in the long term. And and I'm definitely not somebody that's overcut. I think, you know, my anxiety disorder is is a part of who I am and, and I'm going to be learning to manage with it for a long time, you know, medication as well. You know, I'm not uh, embarrassed or afraid to say, uh, or, 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 you know, stigmatized by the fact that mm-hmm. you know, I've had medication for my anxiety and it's all helped, you know, like that's helped. So, you know, lis- I'm listening to my GP and my medical professionals at this point. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to, you know, communicate with them and, and we're finding something that works for me and, and not, what works for me doesn't work for everyone. I think that's important yeah. to say that, you know, it's not, it's not a one size fits all. Um, but now I think things that help me cope with anxiety are things like being open about it, um, talking to other people who have, you know, experienced it. You know, you, I think you go through life learning who your close friends or people you can kind of, you, you're really on the same page with and mm-hmm. sort of filtering down relationships and, and excluding ones that make you be somebody that you're not or uh, don't allow you to kind of express yourself to the way that you want to express yourself or if you're trying to be a people pleaser and you're in a kind of community of friends or, or a network where you're trying to people please all the time or, or you're impressionable and it's not who you are really inside then I think it's it's kind of a good point to ask yourself is this the right place for me uh, so socially, I think that's important. And, you know, uh, handling anxiety now or coping with it through my career, I always remember being really nervous at meetings, like meet, meeting people and being in a room which was technically kind of shut and when the door was shut. I was always concerned about that. Um, it felt a little bit claustrophobic. I didn't really enjoy it, didn't know how, what people would think of me. And I was super, you know, kind of young Um and there's these people around me that are, 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 are at a big point in their career um, and they're looking at me for answers. It was just quite daunting, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I've I've been there. I've done the same thing, you know, um, like uh, in the creative director role I had, you know, I'm supposed to come in. I'm supposed to be a director. I'm yeah. supposed to be like in this fancy role. I'm the person taking the, the uh, lead of their project. And sure. uh, it's scary yeah <laughs> i've um, i'm sorry to interrupt no, I'm, right. I'm just going to quickly share something that i do i think sure. breathing is really important oh yeah gosh. um so uh, i'll talk through what i do now i probably mentioned this on the podcast before i could because i give this advice out all the time breathing is important a big part of that is posture so doing like recording a podcast i don't get nervous like i used to i'm actually quite comfortable doing it now but if you you know stand up and and kind of put your chest out the shoulders back immediately like you can breathe like you can fill your lungs with air and i'm doing the whole like breathing through your nose for four seconds and out through your nose for six or the other way around um so no yeah and having the right posture i found any time that i've had those meetings breathing like that a couple of times has really calmed me down well previously i'd be there sat down probably hunched over the desk yeah not really focusing on anyone else but thinking i need to speak soon and yeah. i get really nervous and i don't know if you was the same but um, oh it, <laughs> absolutely i can relate to that completely and i think breathing yeah I, you know if, if 
if you hadn't mentioned it, I definitely would have because it's so important to kind of control that breathing. It helps with all sorts. Breathing through pain as well is really yeah, important. Yeah. Um, and and also, also things like mindfulness and, and being aware in the environment that you're in, just kind of getting out of your head and just maybe you know, having your hands on the desk and just focusing on the way the desk feels or bringing yourself into a moment of um, kind it's of... grounding. Grounding, yeah, absolutely. And... Um, also as well, I think it's important to have self-compassion and, and catch ourselves when we're talking to ourselves because you mentioned about being a creative director and the expectation. I think sometimes we put too much expectation on ourselves and actually, you know, to kind of quote what my mum says all the time, um, just do your best, son. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's all that's, you can do. <laughs> that's all you can do, yeah. And if you're doing your best, there isn't much more that anyone can ask of you. And if it isn't good enough for them, it's not your problem if you've done your best. Um, and I think that's important to kind of have self-compassion. I'm yeah. learning more about self-compassion as well um, because through through a recent sort of therapist and also some things that I've seen is self-compassion is so good because it's it almost is a lot stronger than self-esteem because we look to self-esteem in order to feel good. But self-esteem is an external thing that we get from other people. You know, oh, you look nice today, self-esteem boosted. Oh, that's a great piece of work, self-esteem boosted. Whereas self-compassion teaches you to have those conversations with yourself. And I think that's important because if you're looking for self-esteem, those comments, those things that people say that make you feel good or they don't always come. And if you're looking for self-esteem as a way to feel better, then you might be struggling. If it doesn't come, you might ask, you start asking yourself, why didn't that happen? Why didn't I get a compliment? Why I showed my work to somebody that didn't even say anything good about it. My self-esteem's now deflated a little bit. So self-compassion would say, well, look, maybe um, maybe um, they they uh, liked it. Maybe they didn't. I'm just going to accept the, un the uncertainty. I think it's good. I did my best then happy days. I feel good in myself. So yeah. I think it's important to kind of talk to yourself in a certain way. Um, that's yeah. just my two pence worth on the, on the subject. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's really good advice and something else I want to add as well. Um, I think when you're young, I mean, I mean, people, older people might find this advice useful, um, as well, but when you go into a professional environment for the first time, you don't really know what to expect and it can be daunting because you know you're going into a room sometimes you'll have um like i've i've been in meetings where there's been like 10 people around the table you have the ceo you have the marketing manager you have yeah, the times. you know you, you have a whole team of people and they're like smartly dressed slick um you, you know uh they got that sheen to them like like that healthy sheen and like fancy hairstyles and stuff you know like real like people with serious confidence money and you know they're just oozing with it people like that are really scary <laughs> yeah. well, I mean they're, they're they're not really but you know in in that moment it can be really daunting when you are um, like how I tend to feel you've got all these like really successful people around the table and then you've got this little baby sat down and that's me you know don't really know what I'm doing um, but anyway so when you're new to this this is how it can feel it can feel like you shouldn't be there you have this kind of imposter syndrome oh, yeah. uh, it's really daunting but what I found over the years so I'm now like late 30s I've actually found that almost everybody feels that way pretty much everyone feels that way so you can um so i've always had a, a phobia of public speaking and that's not just in front of a big room that's that can be like three people around the table that can just be hit and record on a microphone it's just the phobia of speaking to people in in, in some way <laughs> yeah and um what i've found over the years everybody is the same pretty much yep. so even the most uh you know the the best public speakers they feel that too they 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 feel those butterflies they feel that it in, in you know they they feel inferior they don't like people looking at them it's like our brains are wired to just not like those situations mm. but you learn that over time so those people that are really good at that they've wanted to get good at that and they work through it so they they would have worked through those anxieties some people are naturally like that but you know most people 
um, work towards that. I'm doing that myself now. Like if you go back to the early podcasts, I'm, you know, I'm anxious as hell. Um, but anyway, my, my point is it's okay to be uncomfortable in those situations. And actually if, if, if you are nervous, it's okay to say, and pretty much everyone is really understanding. Like they don't, they don't, most people won't judge you yeah. um, for being slightly anxious in those situations. Like even my old director, she used to get, like I could tell when she was nervous, like she would, like you could see it on her face. Like she, she'd had like red blotches on her face. You could tell that she was really nervous and really worked up about those situations. And that's someone that I deemed as incredibly confident. Um, so yeah. So when, when you are new to those positions, just, just be yourself. It's fine. It's okay. And, and just accept that actually everyone's the same. It's just those people that ooze confidence. They've just had that time to develop that. And they, they were once where you were. So totally. it's okay to, you know, yeah. feel like you're not quite where they are yet. Just, just be yourself. It's and, fine. <laughs> and take your time as well. I think we, we often think that we need to be something quickly. I look at my career now in my late thirties and think I have so many opportunities where I didn't need to rush it. I did need to just take it as it came and be organic and just grow into the situation. Don't beat yourself up if you're not at a certain point or level that you want to be at. The expectation of time is, I think when you're younger, you've got time to just explore and, and allow yourself to kind of grow into the position. Mm-hmm. Um, so take advantage of the time that's yeah. there. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I, I like what you said then. And uh, it follows on from a conversation I was having with a guy yesterday. Um, when you first start out, don't feel the need to like rush into one particular niche yeah. area. So like, if you want to, if you want to try logo design, try it. But sure. try everything else, you know, try like experiment because you have that time and that freedom to do any of that stuff. Definitely. All the disciplines that I've worked on or learned are, you know, UI, UX wasn't really a thing when I was studying design. And yet that's a core part of what I do now, as well as logo design. You know, I've worked on animation. These are things that I've explored in the early point of my career and actually dabbled with. Um, so then we're so lucky to have so much around this resources wise in order to kind of uh, tap into and, and mm-hmm. pick things up to really find who we want to be and who we are before we think about niching. So yeah, I think just take advantage of the plethora. Is that the right word? <laughs> I think so. I think so. I interrupt this interview for a short message from the sponsor of this episode, The Perfect Match, a game where designers submit mood boards created with Adobe stock assets and earn your chance to play on a game show to win big. As designers, we pitch good vibes and great ideas through visuals all day, every day. But how well does our design communicate? Do clients and higher-ups really understand the work we put in front of them? Well, let's find out. Test your skills by assembling a brand-inspired mood board with Adobe stock images to the perfect match. And if your skillful product is chosen, you will be featured on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show with other groovy designers, art directors, and creatives where the winner goes home with $1,000. It's free to participate in the perfect match. And if you submit an entry, Adobe will give you a gift for your time. To take part and to learn more, visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash logo geek. That's theperfectmatch.co forward slash logo geek. So now let's get back to the interview. Right. So I want to carry on a little bit with your um story we took a detour there but yeah. that's a good detour I to have detours. i think that was important yeah. you know what i'm like uh, <laughs> so um yeah so in terms of your story what we've spoken about is how you had the passion for design how you did the b tech how you was lucky enough to get a job 
I've looked at your LinkedIn profile and I know that you did a, a couple of other um, graphic design jobs along the way. Sure. But there would have been a point where you decided, I want to work for myself. Yeah. How did that come about? How? What was the reason why you decided to jump ship from a stable, secure job <laughs> yeah. to being fully independent? Well, I think it was that. It was the illusion of the jobs being stable. Um, you know, I was made redundant twice. <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of, when that happens, you realize that it's not, I'm going to say this like, I'm, um, you know, again, it's my advice and what I'm saying isn't for everyone, but I just think employment isn't the, the stable route that everyone thinks. That's why, that is exactly why I said it, because it gives the illusion Absolutely. it's stable and safe and secure, but actually it's just as unstable as um, probably even like less stable than being an, an independent because when you're independent Absolutely. you have the control so when you know that you don't have clients coming in you can do whatever Absolutely. you need to do to get those clients coming in it's not easy it's not easy in the slightest but at least there isn't the illusion totally. of stability like in those in those jobs i wasn't necessarily aware yeah. that there was no client work coming in or or when there was no client work coming in actually i was just thinking oh great i've got some yeah. time to like this project or this project but actually that wasn't a good position completely <laughs> so you learn to basically be kind of in, in employment i think employment's great obviously you're finding your feet and you're doing what you need to do and you're learning on the job but i i was i i, I learned quickly that number one it wasn't stable there wasn't security i had a new you know my my wife was pregnant at the time i just bought a kind of you know four bed detached because i've moved into a you know a family home if you like and I'd lost my job. Um, so it affected me quite a lot. Um, you know, I actually, at that point, thinking around that time, um, did find another job. It wasn't for me. There's there's also the ideas, uh, you know, no agency is the same. You have people that you're probably not going to get on with. There's politics. There's things that they're going to be asked to do of you that you don't like. There's things you're probably going to experience in work that you just think, uh, you know, not on, I don't want to be spoken to or treated like this. And you lose control to a degree. And I, and I wanted to, and I actually suffered a really kind of like bad with health and, and I struggled. Um, I was going to give it all up. Um, kind of found my feet again and got another job and then got made redundant again. And I think because I just had a, a bad time and, you know, um, had a bit of a nervous breakdown and I was in a bad way that I realized that when I lost my job for the second time, after kind of getting myself back into the into into life and doing something that I was going to give up, I thought, you know what, this isn't the worst thing that's actually ever happened to me, and and I've been through worse. You know, I think when you got to the ragged edge of life, you kind of go, um, yeah, this isn't that bad. You know, I've been made redundant before. I've struggled. I've had things happen, and you know, I, I might as well just give it a go. Give it a go. Go solo. You know, I've got a good network around me, and. Um, uh, yeah, I'm done working for everyone because um, I've got to look after myself now and regain some control. And that was when I decided to go self-employed. Um, and uh, I just said at the time, you know, my wife was in a job that I'll do my best again, to quote my mum, <laughs> just do your best son. And uh, they were all nervous about me going um uh, self-employed and, and they were again under the, the illusion that employment was a security was security for me but actually they you know I've, I've done really well in the in the three to four years I think it is that I've been set up now um, and uh, yeah there's good and bad days and there's definitely pros and cons with being self-employed but if you ask me would I go back to employment I'd just straight up say no um, it's not for me. I like the control. I like to work and choose who I, you know, like to pick and choose who I work with and work in a way that suits me. Um, I don't want certain rules. I want to be able to forget the idea of a nine to five creative job when, you know, actually, if I don't feel entirely creative, I can give myself some incubation period of, you know, reflection and, and coming away from a job let's be honest, I'm my worst enemy at that point because sometimes I do get involved in projects and I'm just forcing myself to come up with something on the computer and or, you know, my sketchbook for hours and I should actually just take a break and just walk away. 
because nine times out of 10, that really helps. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to, you know, do was to regain some control and to start looking after myself because I felt at the time nobody was looking out for me. And, um, yeah, that's how I yeah. got into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. So I, th- I think, um, yeah, some, some people do it consciously that like they, they make their mind up that they, they want to, um, be independent, but it sounds like to some degree you was forced down that avenue. Totally. Um, okay. So making your mind up that you want independence and you, you want your own clients, and you know you want to be your own boss Hmm. that's easy to make your mind up (laughs) um but obviously you now need work you you need an income coming in so you need clients how did you go about going from that security of a full-time job to having your own income so having clients of your own well I think what I did was because I'd been in the game for quite a while, people knew who I was. And there was a strategic move as well in, in regards to kind of branding myself with my surname, um, Kusumano. I kind of felt that as a designer, I'd been in this area um, for a while with quite a unique name that I didn't want to be just another me too um, freelancer with say something like, I don't know, to quote, Apple design company or whatever, <laughs> or maybe not say the word Apple, actually. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Let's think of something, other fruit, uh, I don't know, juice, whatever. Um, give myself a, a, a name, for example. And uh, I wanted to run things under my own name because I felt it was unique and that if I'd worked with certain, certain people in, in um, like worked for clients in agencies, and sent them an email and it had my name Kusumano at the bottom that it's a bit more memorable that if they did find me on LinkedIn and I'd see that I'd been set up, it might jog their memory and go, oh, I worked with this guy directly. Maybe I should contact him. I'm not breaking any form of um, kind of tapping up agency clients. So it's a strategic move on my part, but I actually did just reach out to agencies that I'd worked for in the past um, to kind of contact them on a freelance level. You know, do you need any freelance support? Um, so a lot of my work at the time was through agencies and it was a case of just ringing around. I had a a great mentor and good friend, uh, John Sinclair, who introduced me to networking, networking events. Um, in some cases, the networking events brought in work. Um, and, uh, I also find that for me, it was more of a B2B kind of start to my world of being self-employed so I was very much the dare I say agency whore (laughs) just (laughs) bouncing around from different agencies helping them out with freelance um and quickly became you know a good support I was never secretive about who I was working for and a lot of times I was working for agencies competitors but my values of being kind of honest transparent and doing a good job were always more important to them than worrying about whether I was working for their competitor. So that was nice because it felt like I was always trusted. And that's something that I hold dear to my heart is kind of honesty and being and being trustworthy and, and being loyal. So those values have really helped. Um, but uh, yeah, I kind of got into the world of sort of networking and then it became more word of mouth. I, I didn't really advertise my services as such. I just became word of mouth people were just talking about what I was doing for them and and they had somebody with a similar issue that needed help and support design wise and I quickly kind of built up my own clients just through the people that I knew Hmm. and uh yeah and then also as well like engaging with other designers um I didn't really engage with designers when I was employed I didn't think I needed to again I was secure so I felt like I didn't need anything but the designers around me but sorry in a physical element like in the actual job Mm -hmm. but then you know reaching out to design your community for example logo Mm -hmm. geek and being involved in that um and other communities and meeting people and meeting friends and and designers it's um helped because some jobs have come from those links 
Yeah. Um, well, I know I've sent you one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So I've worked with other designers. So it's it's been good in that sense. Yeah. Um, I'd like to um, ask you about how you gone about approaching agencies. So uh, when when you've approached them, has it been at, at the beginning? Was it agencies that you'd worked with previously? Yes, yeah. So agencies that I'd started with when I um, was right, employed. That right, left. and how, how did you go about contacting them and asking them if they had any work going? Um, really just kind of ringing them and just saying, look, this has happened. Um, you know, you t- tend to make... I've been at a lot of these places for many years as well. So I had good relationships with the directors and 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 the people yeah. that I'd worked there, and never left on bad terms. I think as well that's important. Don't leave your job. Yeah, don't burn terms. bridges. Don't yeah. do not burn bridges. Yeah, <laughs> when you never. leave a job, don't go out saying "f you" and Absolutely. "I hate you" lot. Just just leave. Be peaceful and leave in the best possible way. I think that's like some of the best advice that anyone could ever <laughs> totally. give, because you never know when you might be in a situation like like you were. Um, I'm not saying that you was in a situation where you was desperate, but actually, if you didn't get the work from them, you would probably would have been desperate. Um, so, um, yeah, going back and asking them. Okay, so yeah, so that's going back to people that you previously worked with. That's okay. a nice approach, actually, and that shows the real value of actually when you're starting out working for a few different companies. Definitely. <laughs> um, yeah. In my case, I worked for a couple of companies for a long period of time. Like my first job. Well, that was over five years. And then the company that I moved on to, that was 11 years. So I've actually only ever worked for two companies. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so you've, you've gone mm. back to agencies. How about new agencies? How have you approached them? I guess they kind of, um, I think, again, I think it's been word of mouth. Like, I'm trying to think of the, the new agencies that I've sort of worked for. It may be that, you know, somebody's contacted a designer friend so say i'm in a network of designers and then they've gone we're looking for some freelance support and then that designer's friend's going oh you should contact this person because they're up for it and i've mentioned you sort of thing that that kind of stuff and or they've had a job where i'm in a network of designers and and they're not too keen on working directly as a kind of uh, b2b designer if you like or a freelancer to agencies and they've gone cas this isn't the job for me but i know you do it a lot you know, get involved. Or yeah. I've been in co-working areas where there's agencies or smaller design agencies. And I've just been sort of, you know, having a coffee in the, in the canteen area and made conversation with people. So really just being in the environment, talking to people and networking and it's sort of got me to those clients. Yeah. Um, and uh, I guess portfolio as well so some agencies have been quite you know sort of cold called um, and got in touch um i know i not my port my website's terrible it's it's not up to date i need to sort it out but i think my instagram's up to date portfolio wise and normally direct people to that and i've had people sort of reach out or see my work and and then um got in touch that way which is good i mean i dare I say I've not done any sort of like pay PPC or worried about any SEO on my site or anything like that, but I should, because I'm in, I'm in a false sense of security if I don't. And it's actually one of my tasks for this year. Yeah. Yeah. But what I, what's coming across from everything that you're saying is right from the beginning, you've been proactive in terms of uh, networking, meeting people, talking with people, showing your work, and like if if you hadn't done that early on, you probably wouldn't have been in the position where you could, uh, you know, make your mind up. I'm going to work for myself totally. because you've built up all those contacts, you built up all those agencies, you made friends with people, you yeah. got to know lots of people, and um, yeah, I think even. In, in terms of how we know each other, I think yeah. you sent me an email. I think you reached out. And yeah. there, there's obviously, um, you know, a, a, a real benefit to doing that. Because like I said, I pass your work quite a lot. Yeah. And the reason why I pass your work is because I know that you can do good work because you you show it to me. You show me what you're working on. 
Oh, and really like nice. you're, I, I know that you're showing me for feedback, but actually when I think about it now, on top of that support, you're also showing me or demonstrating your capabilities yeah. and actually I can, I can see real value in that. And, uh, yeah, I think in terms of like your story, your background and, and your success, I think the root of it is your ability to network. Yeah, I guess it's, I, I guess you're right, absolutely. Reflecting on that, those sort of early days of meeting you, you know, you were a celebrity that I was reaching out to <laughs> in my head and you still are, you know, somebody I, you know, value and, and, and hold dear in, in my, in my career, but not only from a kind of the logo geek, you know, who you are as the logo geek and people listening to this podcast, but you're now, you know, a really dear friend to me. And yeah, likewise, yeah. the, you know, some, some amazing network of people that I've met, you know, along the way, uh, you know, Liam, for example, Liam Jackson, one of my best friends and co-host of my own podcast, See Through Design. Mm -hmm. It's the ability to network and talk to people and kind of be yourself. Because when I was interacting with you guys, there was no ulterior motive except for the fact that I wanted to be in your world of be you know show you because yeah I, you, you I was excited and genuine and it yeah, was absolutely. nice <laughs> Being genuine is so important and uh you know i wanted to kind of like well, the logo geeks the the guru of logo design and he's he's interviewed all these amazing people all these people i aspire to and love you know saggy aviv christo people like that and i'm just want to reach out to him i'm gonna be yeah. like i said earlier in the podcast ballsy and gutsy and um and see how it see how he recept re receives yeah. that, that yeah and I, I mean it pay, it pays off because i mean now you're on now you're on my podcast absolutely i pass work over to you yeah and you know we kind of to some degree network with each other because yeah, i think totally. we're in similar circles yeah. and i think that's that's one of the benefits of like Facebook in particular I know people don't really like Facebook but actually in terms of communities and networking with other designers is actually really good for that um, yeah. because you um, I've noticed on Facebook all of the best designers or all of the people that I admire they are all connected with each other like it's actually a relatively Absolutely. small circle um, so yeah I, I think in terms of like your story seriously networking is the key to your success yeah definitely networking is a, a huge part and um and in that network filtering as well like keeping you know i'm so lucky to have i posted the other day actually um because i received the made by james book and i think there was a point about friends in there and yeah and uh, you know i'm lucky to have you uh liam and my good friend aaron mitchell um who's a young designer very much somebody i i want to mentor through his career mm -hmm. and those are my kind of go-tos as well to help me um with feedback but also have have been um people that have passed me work and we've all sort of looked after each other yeah to a yeah yeah um, yeah I, I i think it's interesting that you bring up um uh made by james because actually i i've i've got to know James relatively well you know I've, I've done uh podcasts with him and uh, group calls and guy, uh yeah. I see James as a friend as well now and yeah. actually um I think when you first are interested in this area you do um you put people on pedestals sure and you see them as like celebrities and to some degree I mean they they are really um yeah. but James, I consider James a friend now. I consider Jacob Cass a friend that I can reach out to. I consider David Airy a friend that I can reach out to. And actually, in terms of the graphic design circle and networking in the way that you've described, I don't think there's any limit to who you can potentially network with. Yeah. Because actually, even uh even like Pentagram partners okay i probably wouldn't have been able to contact them if i didn't have a podcast so actually having a podcast in the way that you have it kind of opens up a lot of doors totally, uh, yeah. to access but even like people like emily oberman or louise feely i actually feel like i'm comfortable to reach out to them so totally. um i think once you get into a certain network which you have done you've tapped into that network and mm -hmm. um 
you know you're you're doing all the things that that you need to do to open up those doors um yeah that's definitely the biggest takeaway from from all I think of this i think it's important as well to sort of remember that the motive you know i know me and liam we interviewed um james on the uh seafood design podcast and it was a wicked interview we were all down to earth being ourselves but mm-hmm. even kind of going back to the motive of setting up a podcast um it wasn't because i wanted to to increase my kudos it wasn't because we both set it up really because we just needed some therapy sessions and we found talking (laughs) to each other was really helpful in in dealing with our own demons uh, in this career and we thought that was loads of questions out there that need to be asked um and we're always looking for answers why not just go and find the answers by talking to the people directly so the motive is i think motive is important because I don't know. I, I've not really ever had the motive to make loads of money and and or have the motive of being the best designer in the world. I just have the motive of doing the things that are into very simple motives. Yeah. Um, and they're genuine. And I think if you come across as genuine, or don't come across as genuine, just be genuine. Um, people can see through that. So there's a lot of people trying too hard because their motives are a bit wrong. You know, they're they're geared towards their own. Um, selfishness, their yeah. own need to be then um, popular, their own addiction to that of being successful, either being financially successful or just being having loads of uh, followers or just being popular. There, mm-hmm. that's their motive, but that's not really my motive. Um, yeah, and I think that's I think that's why you're likable and why um, you know you're you're able to do the type of work that you want to do and how you know from from afar i i feel that you've been you you are successful i mean you're at a point oh, now you. where you know when you when you consider where you started yeah you know and 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 uh you didn't go to university yeah you had that b-tech course actually you've really worked your way up you've you've gone through agencies that have made you redundant you've had tough times you've gone through anxiety and you know now you're at a point where you are fully independent you've got work coming in you've got a good network of people and actually you've created a really stable foundation for continued success so however i mean you probably don't feel that but actually you are um you know compared to where you started you're like totally successful so yeah and i yeah i must admit i do feel I do feel when you say it out loud, it's nice to hear because it's again that self-talk. It doesn't always happen. I don't sometimes sit and tell myself. Yeah, I mean it's things. it's um it's imposter syndrome. Absolutely, I, I get the same. You know, like um you know I, I I sometimes feel like I'm not very good at what I do or anything like that. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's fairly um normal. But yeah, keep going. You know, you you're doing well. Having these friends around us to tell us pull us out of those situations, <laughs> like Cole Gray as well. Cole Gray and me, we we've got such a great relationship and yeah. Cole's popular on YouTube and well, Cole's that, been on the podcast before, so I can link to the interview with him. Yeah, yeah Cole's um, fantastic. I'm just so We're, fortunate to have reached out and and created these relationships, but like I said, it's just from being genuine. It's not yeah. about being anybody else or trying to be somebody else. Well, that's networking. That That is true networking. Networking mm. is not having a business card in your pocket, having a flipping scripted um, sales pitch. It is being genuine, being interested and actually wanting to make friends. So yeah. your approach to networking is the absolute best way of doing it. And it really is the reason why you're where you are, you know, right back to when you started going in with your portfolio, asking if they got work and, and, you know, um, you know, when you're making like a coffee or whatever in the office and getting to know the people, it's all genuine. And if you didn't do any of that, you literally wouldn't be where you are now. So yeah, I really do think that's the the root of this. That's the moral of the story. Yeah. That's the moral of the story. Well, Kaz, we've just gone over an hour. Yep. Um, and uh, I, I think that's kind of like a good mic drop moment and um, a good totally. round up to your um, story. So hopefully people have found this conversation useful. I'll link to your podcast, See Through oh, Design, uh, yeah. in the show notes. But yeah, go and check that out. Kaz and Liam are both really good friends of mine. 
um you know i i enjoy listening to those conversations so i'm it's sure great others will have you on our show at some point as well i definitely is gonna happen <laughs> i'll uh, get liam on as well so we can yeah, have liam on on definitely. here as well yeah. um but yeah if, if people listening it. people listening if you don't know kaz and liam already go and check out their podcast and and go and say hi you know don't be yeah. afraid to say hello and definitely uh reach out to me, yeah. yeah you 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 never know what might come with that connection well, Kaz, it's been amazing to chat with you. It's Absolute been really pleasure. fun doing this. Yeah, um, super so fun. Thank really you for your time. It. Thank you. Take care. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kaz. It's always an absolute pleasure to chat with you. So I really hope that others have also enjoyed this conversation. Uh, for links to Kaz's website, social profiles and his podcast, along with a transcription of this interview, go and check out the show notes for this episode, which you can find by heading to logageek.uk forward slash one, two, three. And don't forget to check out the sponsor of this week's episode, The Perfect Match, and start working on your mood board design for a chance to win $1,000. Just head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash logageek. So thanks so much for listening. I'll be back the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.